Hello everyone, welcome to the Beach Academy podcast. Today, I am so honored to have Dr. Megan Davis as our guest. Dr. Davis is a research professor of aquaculture and stock enhancement at the Florida Atlantic University Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute. She is so passionate about her work with the Queen Kong and she has dedicated her life to conserve and restore the Queen Kong, which is really, really awesome. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for accepting my invitation today and joining us. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm very excited to be here today. Great, great, great. All right, tell us just a little bit uh, about what you do and about the Queen Kong Lab. So the Queen Kong Lab is, as you, as you mentioned, at Florida Atlantic University, Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute. And we have a mission to grow the Queen Kong for the sake of the species, the environment, and also the people who depend on the fishery. And we also have a vision for there to be a conch farm in every Caribbean nation. All right, nice, very cool. So how does the queen conch farming process works? So you have to start with the egg mass and the queen conch lay eggs pretty much in the summer or the warmer months of the year anywhere from about April till about September. And in some locations such as Puerto Rico, we've seen them lay all year long. So it just depends on where you are in the Caribbean. So the egg mass, a very small piece of the egg mass is collected from the wild and it's brought into the hatchery. And once it's brought into the hatchery, it hatches in four days. And we know that it hatches at nine o'clock at night. And so that evening, many, many villagers hatch out of the egg mass. In every full egg mass, there's a half a million eggs. Hmm. And so the small piece that we bring in is just a fraction of that. But still, many, many thousands of eggs hatch. Once they hatch, they hatch into the villagers are raised in, in tanks. And then they're raised for about three weeks. They're fed phytoplankton or microalgae. And then... After they're ready for metamorphosis, then they are given a cue. And usually that cue is something to do with their trophic environment. So when we say that, it's their next food that they're going to eat. So when they're swimming around in the ocean or in our tanks, they're looking for that cue. And in Mm -hmm. the wild, they'll metamorphose in the seagrass bed. So one of the cues that we use are the detrital blades from the seagrass that we bring in, or we can use a red algal extract and that induces metamorphosis. And then after metamorphosis, we grow them, um, we grow them into the juvenile stage. Mm -hmm. So how how long does it take from that egg stage until the conch can actually be released into the into the wild, right? That's that's what you guys do. You release the conch again into the wild or do you keep it for Right. We grow the conch until they're about seven to eight centimeters, a few inches. And that takes about one year to grow them one year that Mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they can be put into the wild or they can be acclimated into the wild uh, using like a pen uh, enclosure. And then if they're not going to be released, then they can actually be grown up um, for seafood at that stage instead of release. So you, you guys do that type of seafood farming as well at, at some of the uh, farms that you have? or 
Yes, one of the goals of our Puerto Rico Aquaculture Center is that we are growing conch both for restoration purposes and also for sustainable seafood. Mm, okay, okay, that's great. That's great. So, what is the uh, queen conch eats? You were talking about uh, seagrass, or well, they actually have a proboscis, which is like a snout, and inside of that, they have a row of teeth, many, many teeth, called a radula. Mm. And that they use for grazing and they mm -hmm. graze on the seagrass blades. So they actually keep the seagrass blades clean, hmm. which is very healthy for the seagrass environment. And they eat microscopic algae. So um, different types that we call them epiphytes, the things that are attached to the seagrass blades or on the sand or on the rocks. And they can clean up the epiphytes. And that's what they, so they're vegetarians their entire life. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's great. That's great. It's so, it's so great to learn all about these. So you were talking about that sustainable, um, sustainable uh, farming or sustainable, like for, for seafood sources. So that's why it's so important to farm the quinca. Tell us a little bit more about why it's so important to, to have those farms around the Caribbean. So the importance of farming queen conch is to help the restoration of the population. The queen conch is a very, very important fishery species. It's the most important molluscan fishery species in the Caribbean. And it's the second most important fishery species after spiny lobster in the Caribbean. Hmm. And so throughout its range, because it lives, it lives as far north as Bermuda. It of course lives in Florida. And then it lives throughout the Caribbean, um, you know, down the Bahamas into, into the Caribbean and also Central America and Mexico. So it's found in quite a number of places. Mm -hmm. And in many of the places, it has been overfished or there's been habitat changes, which has also caused um, some shifts in the population. For instance, like during a hurricane, um, like Hurricane Maria or hurricanes that have come to the Florida, there's an issue with the conch getting buried in the sand. And so that, that becomes a problem or their seagrass habitat ends up being destroyed by the storms, or there could be other sources of habitat degradation. So the idea of the conch farms is to be able to grow the conch to restore some of the habitats where um, the conch are no longer um, present in the nurseries or to also supplement some of the seafood or the fisheries. So it's not to necessarily replace it, but to provide a supplement. And the other thing that I want to mention is that the conch aquaculture can't be like a cure for everything. And that's why there's many regulations and fisheries guidelines and policies throughout the Caribbean. So it's really important that those are also in place. Right, right, right. So is the queen conch as an, um, listed as an endangered species or no yet? No, it doesn't. It's not classified as that yet. No, it's not an endangered species. It, it um, is considered in some places commercially threatened um, with the IUCN, but it's also a CITES species, the Convention of International Trade of Endangered Species. It's listed as a category two And that means that it can be fished in countries that have a sustainable management plan. And so CITES went into effect in 1992. Mm, well, 
Very interesting. So I'm original from Colombia, and I'm a little curious to know if you still have an active quinton farm in Colombia? Not at this point. We don't, mm. but we we did enjoy working in Providencia and Catalina Island oh, with the fish. There. Yeah, with the fishermen there. And so we would really very much enjoy having another opportunity to work in the archipelago of Colombia. Nice, nice. What will it take to do that? I mean, what, how, how can uh, somebody that wants to help or maybe through, a, through an institute, through a university or? Yes, we've been talking with um, some uh, professors and scientists at one of the universities that's interested, but it would take building a partnership and mm -hmm. also having the funding available to be able to start a small aquaculture farm there. So the funding will come from the Colombian, I guess, Colombian government, or sometimes it can be funded by by the university, by the FAU, or where does the funding can come from? Yeah, the funding would need to come from uh, sources from the country, okay. um, but we we can certainly work with the partners and make sure that they have all the things that they need mm -hmm. in order to grow the queen conch there. Well, that'll be that'll be really interesting to to have it in Colombia again. That'll be that'll be great. So why did the program stop? It was a funded project. We had funding from the Disney Wildlife Conservation Fund, and so we had funding uh, to be able to do a short project. It was about one year long. Mm, okay. Okay. So you were able to to release some into the into the wild during that year, right? To farm some of the quinquen. What we did is we actually collected some juveniles that were from the wild and we put them into pens and we watched their growth. And then when they um, got large enough, we took them and put them into the marine protected area in Colombia. Oh, okay. I see, I see. And where, where else in the Caribbean are you, uh, is the Quincon farm at? I heard Puerto Rico, is there anywhere else or? Yes, we're also working in Curacao and okay. nice. the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. and also St. Eustatius. Oh, wow. nice, nice. I'm curious to know also, what is the, the Spanish name for Quincon? I mean, I know there is uh, probably a multiple ways to name that Quincon in Spanish. Did you, can, can, we, can we mention a few of those? Sure. Yeah, it's very interesting because uh, there's quite a number uh, depending on where the, um, where the country is located. So for instance, in Puerto Rico, they call the Queen Kong Corucho. Hmm. And in Mexico, they call it Caracol Rosa. Oh, Caracol Rosa, nice. Yes, and then in Central America, they call it Caracol Rosada. Mm -hmm. And then from your country, they call it Caracol Pala. Caracol Pala, <laughs> nice. Very interesting that it differs in every time. And what is the actual scientific name for uh, Queen Kong? So during my 40 years of working with the species, it has changed names. Oh, wow. Uh, and so it's had three different names during my career. It started mm. off as Strombus gigas. Right. Yeah. And then it went to Lobatus gigas. Mm. And just a couple of years ago, it went to Allagier gigas. So wow. The name of it now. Huh. Why, why, why the change? Why the scientific community just wanted to give different names i think it's more that uh, taxonomic the okay. taxonomic community okay. because as the 
as the tools um, to be able to look at genetic differences mm. between species has been able to refine the species um, right. names a lot more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. So do you know why is it called like uh, Quincon, commonly called Quincon? Yeah, that's a great name. I mean, she's just absolutely beautiful. She's just I the mean, queen. <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely the queen of the sea. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> great, great. So there's, I, I know there's many other different types of, of conks that exist. Um, what are those, some of, some of those and what are the, the main differences? I know there is like the fighting conch and, but they, I mean, to me, it's very hard to like differentiate them. I think some of the spikes are different, like, especially with the milk conch and the fighting conch and then the queen conch is like the biggest one, but um, I don't know if there is something else to like identify it or kind of like have the difference. And you have some of them there on that poster <laughs> that I see in the background. Um, yes. So there are seven different species in the Caribbean of, okay. the, of the conchs. And so you mentioned the milk conch. And so that one's typically white inside and it doesn't grow as big as the queen conch. And then you mentioned the fighting conch. There's two different kinds of fighting conchs. There's the Florida fighting conch and then there's the West Indies fighting conch. Mm. And there are some subtle differences in shell, lip, um, but also colors um, inside. Um, usually the Florida one is it's a little more purple inside. And then the mm. West Indies one is a little more orange inside. Then there's also the hawk wing conch. And mm. there's a dwarf hawk wing conch when they're quite small. And there's the rooster tail conch that has a long um, piece of it lip that comes up it's very beautiful um and then there's also the uh strombus goliath which is mostly found down in brazil it's oh, wow. a very very large conch all the and, way to brazil yeah so that one's quite a beautiful one too bigger wow. than the queen conch Really? Huh. Mm -hmm. I haven't I haven't really heard about that one before because we don't find it in Florida, right? I mean, it's, no, no, we it's don't. Just, it's just from Brazil. Hmm. So how does the, the queen con shell develops? I mean, are they born with the shell or it appears after they're born or they, I mean, how does, how does it develop the actual shell from the con? Sure. Well, they do keep their shell their entire life. And so when they are growing in the egg, as embryo, they start to develop their shell. So the time they hatch out of the eggs, they already have their shell. And they just keep on, it just keeps on getting bigger. They put more worlds on their shell. And the way they build their shell is with an, um, I suppose you'd call it a type of organ, but it's a type of the anatomy of the conch called the mantle. And the mm -hmm. mantle takes the calcium carbonate from the ocean and it uh, excretes it and allows the shell to grow. And that's very typical for all shells really to have this mantle and that helps to make the color. Well, partly what they eat helps to make the color of the shell because for instance, the queen conch eat, uh, eat algae and the algae have uh, carotenoids, which um, lays down that beautiful pink color. 
Right. Nice. Nice. So which ones are the predators of the con? I mean, who, who is the con other than us uh, humans? Um, I'm sure there is some um, ocean or marine life that will, will eat them, right? I mean, even other, other mollusks? Other mollusks that are carnivorous, um, mm. such as the, the tulip snail or the, the apple murex snail. Um, even if there is... So the horse conch. Yeah, possibly the horse conch too. So there's a carnivorous mollusk that will consume on other mollusks. Mm -hmm. And then there's the octopus that will eat the conch as well. Oh, wow. And um, there's crabs and lobsters and so a lot of them different kind of conch. fish. Yeah, different kind of fish, um, like the puffer fish and oh. the hog, the hogfish and yeah. turtles and sharks so yes they have a number of different predators they serve right. a really important role in the in the food web right how do they protect themselves for getting i mean i guess they can fight it do they fight it or they just they don't have much protection well their protection is their shell right and so as they get older their shell gets that gets tougher or harder mm -hmm. and so really by the time they reach to the stage that they have the full lip There's very few predators, but we've still seen octopus eat them at that stage. Wow. Yeah, because you, you, you were mentioning olives. I mean, olives are smaller than, than like a full-size quincunx, but are they the olives? Um... Uh, no, the tulip. Oh, tulips, sorry, tulip. Yeah. The, tulip yeah. Are, the tulips are smaller than the, the quincunx. So how do they, I don't know how they, they will eat it, but I guess it will eat it once it's juvenile. Yeah, when they're smaller and they also have like a, they. Some of these carnivorous uh, mollusks can make a drill hole oh, and they right. can get yeah. to the conch that way. Oh, okay, so it doesn't matter if it's bigger than, than the other. Well, if, it gets, if the shell gets too thick, it's mm -hmm. going to be difficult okay. for them. Oh, okay, so it's the thickness, right? If, it's, if it has more um, that calcium yeah. or carbon. But I have, I have seen an octopus come in and eat a very large conch and then They may not eat the whole thing. I've seen the murex snails come in and sort of do the cleanup, the mm. cleanup crew. Yeah, <laughs> they go and clean the clean the rest. So other than the quincon seashell, I mean, do you have any other favorite um, seashell that you? I mean, I don't know if you collect seashells or if you have like a collection or some favorite ones from the Caribbean or from Florida. Yeah, sure. Well, I love to collect uh, shells as well. Um, I, I am um, partial to the, all the conchs, of course. Um, <laughs> but I think my other favorite um, is the West Indian top shell. It's called Cetarian and it's a black and white, has a beautiful mother of pearl. So that's also um, a shellfish that other people or that other communities and Caribbean islands eat. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes I um, see them empty and I like to collect those as well. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a, an important part of uh, collecting the shells. I mean, just make sure that nobody is inside because even, even if they have um, the, um, I forgot the name now, the crabs, the hermit the crabs hermit crab. mm -hmm. that can live in there also, they, they still use that shell for um, To live in there, the hermit crabs, or I mean, the actual snail is going to be there, the mollusk. Um, so our listeners are beach lovers, and they love to go to the beach and enjoy the sand, the ocean. Um, 
how can they help protect the queen king? I mean, other than what I was just mentioning, just make sure that when they are collecting the shells, there is um, nothing in there. But is there any other suggestions that you have for them so they can they can uh, help protect the species? Sure. Well, every country in the Caribbean, including Florida, have certain regulations in terms of whether or not they can be collected also to eat. Um, in Florida, there's been a moratorium on collection of live conch since 1985. And so if a conch shell is found in Florida, you're right, it needs to be empty. Uh, sometimes if you're like in the Florida Keys, you might be walking along the beach or for that matter in other Caribbean islands as well, you might be walking along the beach, you might see a conch stranded, maybe a queen conch, maybe a fighting conch, so you can put them back in the water. Um, yeah. That would be good. And then it's really important when people are visiting the other Caribbean islands that they know what the regulations are and what the correct size um, should be collected because the conch takes four years until they're mature and ready to harvest and mm -hmm. they have to have a fully developed lip and so mm -hmm. they shouldn't they should not be collected before they have uh, a fully developed lip usually okay. takes four years four years to fully so for you it will take four years for them to harvest it for food that's what you mean or that's oh, correct okay, okay. Yeah, so the, the harvester, I mean, have to be licensed in order for people to consume the, or also, as you were mentioning, the sustainable farming of the quinca. I mean, if they can have sources for sustainable farming, they can probably purchase those instead of the other ones. So which one is uh, your favorite beach that you can recommend to our listeners? I mean, I know you've been traveling a lot and you know a lot of the beaches in the Caribbean, so it's probably it's probably a hard question to choose just one <laughs> of everywhere everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a really hard question. And I think every, you know, Florida and every Caribbean island has very beautiful beaches. And I'm probably a little bit partial to loving the Bahamas and the Turks and Caicos beaches. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to Turks and Caicos. I've been to Bahamas, but the um only to the Grand Bahama Island side, which is not the, the big one in the Atlantic, but, but it's, it's beautiful and it's very pretty. I mean, I'm, I'm also a fan of the Colombian beaches too. San Andres Island is really, it's oh, really yeah. nice. So um, where can our listeners find more information about you and the, the Queen Kong Lab? Yeah, thanks for asking that. So we have an active Instagram account and it's at Queen Kong Lab. And we also have a website, which is conchaquaculture.org. All right. Great, great, great. Thank you so much for joining us, Megan. I mean, this was just, wow, a lot of, a lot of uh, new knowledge for me. And I'm sure a lot of uh, the listeners as well are probably very inspired by your work and just probably will want to learn more about that. So I'll, I'll just send them and I'll, I'll put in the notes, the, the, the website and the, the Instagram, which I actually love it. I mean, I... I like all the posts that you post and thank you so much for what you do for the for the Queen Kong and for spreading the word of, of the marine life and everything. I don't know, we'll definitely keep in touch about the Colombian, um, uh, maybe opening the farm, a Queen Kong farm there, that would be pretty cool. That sounds great, Doris. Well, it's been a real pleasure and an honor to uh, talk with you today and thank you for the great work that you do with the Beach Academy.
Thank you. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and learned more about the amazing queen conch, the importance of the queen conch farming, and how we can help co protect the queen conch. If you are interested and want to learn more about the fascinating world of beaches and how to protect them, join our membership at www.thebeachacademy.com. And also in there, you can check out our cool store to find some fun beach merchandise. Thank you and talk to you next time. Bye.